I can't convict them of sin, but I have the Word, which is that power. So we actually believe then that the Word does something. If there is no transformation, then you're trying to guide the old nature. The sacraments are a mystery. The Word being given in physical form. Our people need to understand why these are gifts. Welcome to the Lutheran Church Planter, a podcast exploring the theology, philosophy, and practice of planting new Lutheran congregations. I'm your host, Andy Coyle, Church Planter and Director of Home Missions for the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations, joined by my co-host and fellow Church Planter, Matthew Bauman. And we are in the series here on our marks, the Free Living Lutheran, and we've covered a lot of ground up to this point. We've given a whole introduction on why these need to be a holistic unit. Uh, they have to be taken together. We've hit on the nature of what that freedom looks like with really rooted in the gospel and how that then shapes the congregation theologically and, and then even corporately as we live that out in our polity. We've dove into what a living congregation is and what that looks like individually, but then corporately in the life of our congregation too, a shown in mission and spiritual gifts and, and a deep, beautiful gospel-centered piety. And now we're going to transition into what it means to be Lutheran. And we're going to have two episodes on that too. Uh, and we're going to focus on word and sacrament with this first episode. And and our special guest today, uh, you met him a few weeks ago as we talked about the congregation, Dr. Marty Horn, who has again earned a PhD in Lutheran theology of the congregation. And he's going to help us today understand the word and the sacraments and their place in the life of the congregation, how they foster congregational life and, and just the beauty of them. And so again, I'm going to read our statement here just to sort of frame our conversation under word and sacrament. We believe the scriptures are God's inspired and inerrant word. And this word is our ultimate authority and the source of our preaching and teaching. The Lord also unites his word to the tangible gifts of baptism and the Lord's Supper, by which he creates new spiritual life and nurtures his church, as we could say congregation there too. And so we're going to kind of break this episode into two parts, under the word and then under the sacraments. And so we're going to start with the word. Uh, Dr. Horn, when, when we talk about the word of God, what do we mean by that? What, what's, what's our position on the word of God? Why is it so powerful? What, what do we mean when we say that? Okay. I'm going to be as concise as possible here to keep from rambling. Um, in a Lutheran, historic Lutheran context, the word is the divinely inspired written texts of both the Old and the New Testament. The historic Lutheran understanding is that this word, as the inspired written texts of the Old and New Testament, is the final and ultimate authority in all questions of teaching and practice. I'm going to make one side note here. Historically, the Lutheran Church did not separate the word from Scripture and say that that the Scripture is not the Word, but it only contains the Word, so that there are two separate things. Um, that is an innovation in the Lutheran Church uh, within the last 150 years and is not a historical position of the Lutheran Church as a whole. Well, and Doc, uh, Dr. Horn, we would say that's, that's an innovation in Christianity because no Christians before the modern era of yes. you know, higher criticism would ever talk in that way. Right. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a helpful distinction. So, so what's special about this word? What's special about the scripture? 
The important thing to understand is, is the word is not just simply informational. It gives us information. And it is not just simply instructional, like it tells us what we are supposed to do. But the, the word, and I'm going to use this word here, it is transformational. Mm. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. And, and what he's saying there is, um, this is what needs to happen to you. You need to be transformed. But that phrase is passive. It is something that the Spirit of God does to you. And that transformation comes through the Word of God. And we see this in the Lutheran distinction between law and gospel. And I'd like to make a few comments about it, if possible, here. The Word of God, as both law and gospel, is a powerful spiritual force that shapes the life of the individual and the congregation as it continually convicts of sin and continually grants the forgiveness of sins and creates faith and life in the members. This creative word as law, as we see in Hebrews, is sharper than a two-edged sword as it exposes our sin and our own sinful nature. At the same time, the word as gospel is the power of God unto salvation that conveys forgiveness and creates faith in life. And it's also important to understand that this word as the power of salvation is the creative power that is a source of a holistic Christian faith and Christian life. It's not just simply the power that saves in our initial salvation. Under the word as law and gospel, we experience daily repentance, daily forgiveness, daily renewal, and the, this power is the power that also works not only salvation, but sanctification. Mm -hmm. That as the word is proclaimed, that power then shapes the life that I live in this world in its many, many, many facets. So, so we actually believe then that the word does something. Yes. It's not a dead word. It's not just words on a page in a nice, pretty book. It actually is the word of life. It is actually yes. God speaking. Uh, a few weeks ago in um, one of our life groups at our church, we were talking about this specific issue. And I, and I was trying to frame for our people in, in our group of, of what that looks like. And I just like, imagine if literally Christ was standing right here speaking to yes. you. This is the word of God. When, yeah. when that word is read in church, when you are reading it in, in your devotions, this is God who yeah. is speaking to you, and, and, and his spirit is helping to you to understand that word, and, yeah. and it is transformative. And I think that is such a powerful image to see that then that obviously then becomes the authority. Yeah. If we have such a low view of the word, or if it's just like, oh, it's just, it's just written words on a page for instruction or whatever— yeah, that, that's fine. But if we see the, the word as literally the transcendent, eternal God who created the heavens and the earth, he is speaking to us, it transforms everything. Yeah. It totally changes. Matt, you use the phrase, uh, and it's not just you, a lot of, a lot of people do, and it's a, it's a historic phrase, but the word of God as a, a sacramental word. When you, when you use that phrase, what do you mean by that? And how is that a, a, a beautiful picture? Maybe a broadening out of that usage of the word sacrament. 
Yeah, well, I think these words Lutherans can use of like powerful and efficacious. Y'all guys are describing this idea of the efficaciousness of the word of God. That is not just a history book that we're reading about Israel, yeah. you know, in the Exodus. But but it is that point of no, it's speaking to us today. It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual book. And I often like to say, like, this isn't the Odyssey. This isn't the Iliad. Mm-hmm. This, the nature of this book is so different. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. It's in a completely different category than any other book that is out there. Thus, right, we have this theology of the the inspiration uh, and the the authority of it, and its inerrancy. It's 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 true. It's trustworthy because it is a spiritual miraculous work of God in our midst. Like, we, look, we believe that. Jesus is God in the flesh. He died and rose again. Like that's a supernatural, miraculous thing. So when people start, you know, sometimes struggling in our modern age, especially with inspiration or inerrancy and the, the trustworthiness of scripture, it's like, you, we believe a dead man came back to life. Like that, it's a supernatural <laughs> yeah. thing, right? It's a miracle. And that's what we're saying is happening every time we open up the word of God. Uh, to to the question of it being a sacrament or sacramental, not not a sacrament, but but a sacramental kind of nature to it is that it is God breaking into our reality and speaking to us. Right. Right. And this is why Lutherans have often said, really, what what powers the sacrament is of baptism and Lord's Supper and even confession is what? The word of God. Like that, mm-hmm. that's actually the thing. It's not my word. Right. It's not even the physical element. Those are just normal elements, right? It's no, it's the word of God. It's the power of God. So there is this sacramental nature in that it's coming to me. I don't have to wonder uh, yeah. where it's at. I don't have yeah. to, you know, wonder what it's saying. No, it comes and speaks and breaks into my world, comes into my ear, you know, hits my eardrum. Wow, what a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> thing that that is. Yeah. Can I use a very practical illustration that really helped me in understanding my own ministry. Um, I grew up on a farm in uh, western Montana, and it was all, almost a whole section of uh, old pine and fir and other trees, and those stumps were huge, and the roots went way, way down deep. And in the 40s, that was a little bit too much for my dad to get those stumps out. He just simply couldn't do it. He could not remove those stumps himself. But the very interesting thing is that he had dynamite. (laughs) He had that thing that he could then bring to bear with those stumps, and just simply he had the power to blast them out of the ground. And one of the most fun things when I was a kid, when I was, uh, I think it was about 12 years old, my dad said to me, well, son, it's time you you had to learn how to use dynamite. (laughs) So he took me out and showed me. Uh, never showed me how to toss a baseball or anything like that, but I had got to use dynamite. And, and I, I, I realized that that is the place of the pastor. I can't change people's lives. I can't convict them of sin. Mm. I can't convince them to make a decision. But I have the word, which is that power, like dynamite to blow those stumps out of the ground, that power to transform to save and to transform those lives and to bring them into the kingdom of god and that makes my ministry and every pastor's ministry so much more easier because it's not me it's the spirit working through the word yeah that that's a great reminder as we as we talk about you know then the usage and the role of 
preaching and teaching the word of God um, just in our congregations. Because again, all these markers go together. And as we talk about the gospel and the congregation and spiritual life, uh, it is the word because it is it is alive. It is how Christ comes to us too, uh, the means by which he, he nurtures us. It's so valuable. Speak to that then. Why why do we preach a certain way? Why do we teach a certain way? What what is our conviction about the primacy of the word of God in the congregation? Yeah, are you asking why is necessary for the congregation? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Why, why 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 do you when you preached or matter myself, why yeah. do we not uh, preach sermons like 10 ways how to be a better citizen or you know five ways how to have a better life? Why why don't we preach that way? Why do we What's our conviction in our preaching? Um, b- because what people need is, is that transformation, not instruction. There, there is a place for instruction for sure, because that's absolutely. law, and and the law is a guide. But if there is no transformation, then you're trying to guide the old nature, mm-hmm. a person in their sins, and then that isn't going to help them. And and it's not only at the point of salvation, but it is that need for daily renewal through the Mm -hmm. preaching of law and gospel. Because I have found that as people who have been Christians all of their life, 50, 60, 70 years old, hear that gospel, maybe in a new and fresh way, and they hear it and it strikes them right in the, the needs that they have and the concerns they have and the struggles they have, and it, it, it strengthens their faith and sustains them and helps mature them. Um, and, and, and so that's why, that's why it's so central. Yeah. It, I, you know, we had Pastor Hagen on weeks ago as we talked about the gospel, but I remember back in seminary, one of the things that he said about kind of the role of the scriptures in a service, and we were talking about, um, you know, just the sort of the historic church worship and all the liturgy and how for the most part, it's all just scripture, right? And I remember him making a comment of saying, you could have the worst sermon ever. It could be, you know, just total trash. But it's like, if that person has been sitting under the word, the entire part of that service, it's like God is still doing their work, his work through that word. And just, and for me, I remember that sort of dawned on me. It's like, ah, that's why. That's why in the wisdom of the church throughout the ages, the word has been the primary thing throughout the service, mm-hmm. whether it's the preached word or whether it's the read word or it's the the confessions and the Psalms. And then as we get into the visible word with the table and all those things, it really is the very thing that then feeds. And, and which is why then in our services, the scripture should permeate yes. everything. Yeah. 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 There's a point here of why the word is so necessary in the life of a congregation. And that is that, a congregation is formed, strengthened, and sustained through the preaching uh, of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing is that a pastor can try to to develop and maintain and to move forward a congregation just simply maybe through his own organizational ability or his own personality or something like that. But in real- reality, you don't have a congregation. Um, would it be okay if I read a little quote here? Sure. Yeah, please. I don't know if this applies here, but it speaks about that necessity for a congregation itself. And I'm quoting from um, 
again from Georg Sverdrup, who was the grandfather of the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations. And he says this, Jesus Christ is the truth. Only by means of a true preaching of Christ will then come to be a congregation. Let that sound forth, and the congregation will be built, will grow, and will be strengthened. Put something else in its place, no matter how popular it may be, and the congregation will stagnate and will lose more and more of its nature and strength. The very existence and the health of the congregation depends on that continual feeding on the Word of God, both as law and gospel. Yeah, I, I, I want to just talk about this as it relates to church planting and maybe even like church revitalization or whatever. Matt, maybe I'll ask you this. I, I, I'm thinking about something here, but I bet you are too. Like, what? Why? Why is this not very? This idea not very exciting within the church planting world. Why is it that we can be so distracted or fill our minds with so many other things within planting, and maybe lose sight of just the power of the word? and how that then shapes and builds a congregation. Where can we err here? Oh, yeah, there's probably, I think, an error on both sides of this. On one hand, there's the error of, well, it's on it's on me and my energy and my personality and my good storytelling and my, you know, relationship building. That's what's going to really get, get the wheels turning on this ministry, right? And no matter whether you're a church planner or just a pastor in a 100-year-old church, like, that temptation is always going to exist of wanting to carry that burden. Mm -hmm. It's on me to do this, right? So that uh, maybe even related to that, kind of on that end of the spectrum, I think that very uh, subtly turns into like, well, then I think I'm the Messiah. I think I'm the the Savior. Yeah. Instead of pointing people to Jesus, mm -hmm. it's now on me to carry their burden. And that's exhausting, and that will break a pastor really quickly, right? <laughs> and, and perhaps you know, in my ministry, it's I got to keep relearning that lesson. Yeah. Like that's yeah. a that's a a daily thing. I got to keep relearning that of, no, it's Jesus saves them. I don't. But on the other end of the spectrum, I, I think there is this a danger of, you know, maybe it's the other, it's maybe not um, overworking, like a, 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 the sin of, of overwork, but it's a sin of laziness. Well, I don't really need to do a lot of prep for my sermon. I'm just going to get up there, read the passage, maybe reread it two or three times, kind of do some general words on it. And that's all I need to do, Right. Well, that also would be an unfortunate extreme position because St. Paul says in, in writing to Timothy, when looking and appointing elders, they need to be what? Apt to teach. Mm -hmm. Like they need, to, they need to show some demonstration that they can explain and expound the word of God. Mm -hmm. Again, that's not saying it's my power, but there's, that's a gift that our Lord has given to the church, preachers and teachers. And we want to exercise those gifts, right, in his power. So there is a responsibility for pastors, right, to be faithful, to do their preparation and pray over the text and to do the best they can do, but recognizing it's not me, it's ultimately yeah. the power of the word of God and his spirit. So, you know, not falling into either one of those ditches in my mind in a church plant situation, that's that's really key. Yeah, that, that was kind of what I was thinking too, is like just the temptation that just pervades the planting world of methods and yeah yeah and all these types of things and, and there's a place for those discussions right the the practices and all that but it is so easy to to lose sight of mm -hmm. the main role as a pastor to pastor <laughs> to shepherd yeah. the flock right yeah. and how do you do that is it is through the use of the word and, and the sacraments as we're going to get into 
Um, and so I think uh, there, there was a guy who came to our church uh, two weeks ago and, um, and uh, he, he just said after the service, because I was kind of curious how he was receiving it and I knew where he was coming from that it was very, very different. And, um, and he just made the comment, because I knew we just have scripture, the entire service is scripture basically. He's like, it's just so simple. There's, there's not like a light show. And all this other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's really simple. And it's just the way that the church has always <laughs> worshipped, you know, just really focused on the word because we believe the word actually is the what does it. Mm-hmm. And and I think for him, maybe it was, it kind of caught him off guard maybe and was like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. And I think as pastors, we can just fall into these traps of getting into all these other things and thinking, oh, that's going to put people in the in the pews and all this stuff when, when really, yeah, we do need to work. We have to work hard, but, but yeah. realizing that, yeah. Man, it's the word that does it. Yeah. And that's such a, a good thing for us to be reminded of as we think about planting or as we think about church revitalization. Yeah. It's like, it's the word, it's the word. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, transition then into the sacrament aspect. You know, as we think about uh, the means of grace, and that's a phrase that we haven't used yet, but that's, you know, there's the power of the gospel. What is the, what is the gospel that comes to us through means? And we talked about the, the primary means as the word and we talk about then the the visible word, as Augustine said, the sacraments. And so, Matt, I'm going to actually start with you here, and as we talk about the sacraments, and you know, we're both in church plant settings, and so we both have a lot of uh, just part of our life is trying to explain our identity to people who don't come from our backgrounds. Uh, and so, how have you, in your church planting setting, uh, described or summarized or presented or introduced the understanding of a sacramental perspective or the sacraments from people from a non-sacramental background? So we could have a narrow definition of the sacraments, and I'll start with that, and then we can kind of go a broader definition of it. But uh, narrowly speaking, the sacraments are the gospel in physical form. The Word, we talk about the Word of God, the Word being given in physical form. The forgiveness of sins being given in physical form is what that is. So specifically with thinking about baptism, baptism is what it's, we are receiving the gift of the forgiveness of sins, that our sins are being washed away. The gift of the Holy Spirit is being given. We're being united to Christ all in the sacrament of baptism where God is applying a promise. So Lutherans traditionally kind of say a sacrament is defined by three things. Christ commanded it, Christ instituted it. It has a physical element, water, you know, uh, maybe wine or bread. Uh, and then third, there's a promise attached, the promise of the forgiveness of sin. So we, we, we tend to think that's how we define sacraments. And interestingly, our Lutheran um, forefathers in the confessions, they were open to talking about other sacraments, they just said we're. It requires broadening the definition a little bit. So even in our confessions, like, well, confession, uh, private confession, absolution. You know, is there a physical element there? Well, I guess it's the pastor. You know, speaking uh, the declaration of grace or the absolution, uh, ordination. Even like Martin Kimnitz, he said, "Hey, I think this is a sacrament if you understand it as a means that the pastoral office is a means of the word of God being proclaimed and delivered to people." Well, then that's kind of sacrament, right? So again, the the, the point being there is. All of all of the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper and confession and absolution is how God is delivering, how God has chosen to deliver the gospel, the forgiveness of sins to us. Yeah, let me jump in there. I think for me too, you alluded to it, and I, I want to kind of press it a little bit. 
I think for me that's been helpful in talking about the sacraments is is the connection to the word. You mentioned mm-hmm. the physical the the word of God because I think what a lot of people don't make that connection uh, and that's the issue. They don't see that this is the visible word and it's still God doing his work. They just see the ritual, they see the water, they see whatever. That's just an empty thing. It's not a big deal. And like I said, no, we're actually saying that this is the word and and like in Ephesians 5 it talks about the washing of the water with the word. And I, I use that phrase a lot to help them see that we believe that God is doing his work. This is gospel work. It is the word of God, which is primary, that is with the spirit of God that is doing its work through these things. And that this is then the primary way in which God has worked throughout the Bible. So I want you to speak to that because I know you do a lot of, a lot when you talk about the sacraments. How is the sacramental understanding seen throughout all of the scriptures? Yeah, this is that kind of broader definition, I guess I, w- I would speak to mm-hmm. is, so the Christian church, going back to the very beginning, is we are allergic to something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is this idea that the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. Mm-hmm. So maybe some of our listeners can relate to this. They've maybe grown up in churches where that was kind of what they were being catechized and discipled into. If, if I can only escape this, you know, horrible body, then I won't, you know, be tempted with sin anymore. And really my spirit is what is important. This was a heresy that was floating around in the early church. And the, the early church fathers said, well, no, <laughs> the, the physical is not bad. Like the very fact that that Christ took on a body, that, that the word of God, that's another John 1 talks about the mm-hmm. word of God, that the second person of the Godhead, the son of God took on a body and Athanasius wrote this book called On the Incarnation. And this is really what he's kind of arguing. It's like, no, because of that, created matter is being redeemed, yeah. right? Yes, it's corrupted by sin, but Christ took it on. He didn't just come to like save our, our soul, our spirit, but the whole person, both body and soul, body and spirit, right, together. And the incarnation is kind of the great statement of that. So, so as, a, as a Christian church, the history of the church is to say, no, physical matter matters. And that God from the beginning has worked through physical matter. Go, go to the Garden of Eden. Was the fruit in the Garden of Eden magic fruit, right? When, when God said, don't eat of this tree, or if you eat of this tree, the tree of life, uh, or the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, was that magic fruit? Well, no, it wasn't some like mod- genetically modified fruit that's going to give you superpower, but God had attached a promise to it. Mm-hmm. So when they partook, right, of the fruit of, of good and the knowledge of good and evil, God had attached a promise. It was his promise that actually brought about, right, the, the outcome of that. But we can, we can see that throughout scripture where God will attach promises to physical elements. Yeah. I, I think of, you know, the bronze serpent. Yeah, that's a good one. Was yeah. the, yeah, was the bronze serpent a magic serpent that when you look at it, somehow the rays, you know, it emitted some type of magical rays? No, it, but it was a promise of God saying, as they look upon this serpent, they'll be healed, right? If you remember the story, they were all bitten by these fiery serpents and people were dying. And God says, I'm going to make a way of salvation put this bronze serpent in your midst and look on it and you'll be healed, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, Jesus even, he, he would uh, put mud mm-hmm. on the eyes of people to heal them, right? Did he have to do that? No, he didn't. Or the Exodus, uh, the Passover lamb, that every house that had the blood on the door, what death passed over that house. God could have just said like, hey, any house that's got an Israelite in it, they're gonna be saved. But no, he said, nope slaughter the lamb, sacrifice the lamb, eat it, put the blood on the door mantle, and, and they'll be saved. So, I mean, we could just keep on going. The, the, point, the point being is that God is not a God who's just interested in 
kind of an intellectual or spiritual reality, but he is a God who comes and speaks to us in a very physical way mm-hmm. through the means of in the world that he has created. Yeah. And yeah. he has, has chosen, instituted the sacraments to be the means that he continues until Christ returns to minister. And, and it, this is Ephesians 5. You, you um, referenced this earlier. Uh, and Paul says this, he says, Ephesians 5, 29, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are our members of his body. What Christ is nourishing and cherishing us as he gives us his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. Yeah, that's really good. So Dr. Horn, let's transition then. We, we kind of have this framework now of a sacrament. Why are the sacraments so vital in the life of a congregation? Why is this something that defines who we are as Lutherans, but as Christians? Okay. Uh, I'm going to go back here to the motto or the, yeah, the motto of the association that what we desire is free and living congregations. And behind that is the biblical idea that there are there are dead congregations. Hmm. Uh, that's we we find that in Revelation. He says uh, uh, he talks to the one congregation. I know I know that you are alive, but you are you, you have the reputation right. to your life, but you are dead. And there's this concern for real life in the congregation, specifically in the individuals, and generally in the congregation living vital congregations and that brings me to the meta to the picture that Sverdrup used and I'm going to use that in just one point why this is so important he would say that the word and sacraments and he's speaking specifically about the sacraments in this context that the sacraments themselves are the wellsprings of life they are the, the spores of spiritual life-giving water. They bring life into the congregation, and they're the means that God has ordained. We may want to look at the Lord's Supper as just something we do. Um, It's an ordinance. God wants us to do that of respect for him. We can think that way. But in a Lutheran context, to only view them as just simply an ordinance is to miss the main point that here the Spirit of God comes and he ministers to us through the word promises attached to those physical elements, and he brings life for the individual and for the congregation. Um, And it has to do with, of course, with with the forgiveness of sins. Um, Communion is a place where God wants us to bring that one thing that we have that he needs— well, not needs, but he wants. And that one thing he wants from us is our sin, you know? And, and so we come into communion bearing our sin, and we lay it at the altar and receive the very body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and, and through that, in a mysterious way, our, our lives are renewed as the burdens are lifted off. And we receive again and again and again the gift of new life. Um, And that's what we have to see in baptism, too, that the baptism of that little baby is not just simply a symbol, 
Um, but it is really the granting of a new life to that child, just as important as its physical birth. Um, so I, I use that illustration, a wellspring of life there. Yeah, that's really good. So where, if this is the truth, and we see that you know Scripture presents these means as so vital, these physical things, mm-hmm. why in maybe some of our congregations, or maybe more so in our, in our heritage, why have we, this is a broad brush, but maybe yeah. under-focused on them, or we haven't talked about them enough? Yeah. Like what, yeah. T- t- give us a little history okay. with that. W- within our background, which is within Scandinavian and Norwegian Lutheranism, um, th- there were basically two emphases. One was a very, very high church sacramental emphasis, where the emphasis was, emphasis was on the objective reality of the sacraments. And um, it was the, the focus was on that, and there was very, very little concern for the actual spiritual life of the congregants. You come, you receive the Lord's Supper, you go home, you do your stuff, nothing changes. Um, you might be a drunk, you might be the best person in town, but that's just simply that's just simply reality. But then on the other hand, you had people on the far side who were deeply, deeply concerned for the spiritual life of the people. They really were had a vital concern for life. And they wanted to see people saved. They wanted people to who were sleepy in their faith to come alive. They wanted to see people actually live out their Christian life in prayer, in giving, in living holy lives. And sometimes on that side, and I think this is a part of where it comes from, um, they were reacting to the what they viewed as the dead liber- the, the the dead orthodoxy of the other side and and so what would happen is that they would minimize the sacraments well i'm not really concerned that you're baptized that's not the issue but are you really saved mm-hmm. you know and um the lord's supper in several instances became very very minimized it was just simply something you went through but we don't talk about it we just do it and we just go and then we go on and talk about more important things. And, and, and the I, but when you come to what I think the association from its early records, from the writings that come down to us from the fathers, uh, Sverdrup and Oftedal, what, what they wrote about was something completely different, where life was not separated from the objective reality in the sacraments, but it was seen as whole that we desire life, and where do we find it? Where do we receive it? Where does the Spirit bring it? Um, They didn't minimize the sacraments. They lifted them up and said, look, here, this is the wellspring of life. This is where the Spirit of God brings life. And and I'm going to teach you about that, and you're going to find life in there as you understand what it's really, really about. So if you're concerned about spiritual life in a congregation— you find its source in the Word as it is preached, in baptism as our children are brought to the Lord in baptism. And that's not just something we do as a custom, but it's a real means of grace. And we find it in the Lord's Supper. And so the objective reality, the objective truth, and the necessity of, uh, of, 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 of 
the subjective life that we have are, are brought together. They're not held in tension or held separate. And we only focus on one or the other, but we focus on mm. both. Yeah. The, the one flows from the other, and you can't have the one without the other. Yeah, that was really good. I think, do you, you know, I hear today even, and that this tension is very much alive and well in our current association. I hear from some, well, they just care about the sacraments or that yeah. side. Well, they just care about evangelism and, yeah. and, and they don't really care about this. And, and, and it's just like, man, they're, they're both missing the mark here. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, in, in the episodes that we've talked about already and hitting the gospel and hitting the theology of the congregation and talking about mission and evangelism and spiritual gifts and talking about Christian piety and, and all these things, I mean, we're talking about the word and sacraments now because all of them have to go together, just as yes. you were saying. And and I think that is the beauty of our heritage too, is that yeah. we, if we rightly understand this, and I think we can argue that many have sort of siloed these things, yeah. but if it's rightly understood, it's it's quite a beautiful package. Yes. And and it's really the, the what we were trying to foster. So within church planting or within church revitalization, how do we... How do we grow and and help our the spiritual life of our church? All of these things are going together. Yeah. We can't minimize yeah. one or focus on one more than the other. And it's just they, they all work together. Matt, yeah. what are you what are you thinking? Yeah, no, I love that. I love that they, they go hand in hand. I even and the picture that came to my mind is right hand and left hand. Right. If the chief sacrament in both the word of God and in the sacraments is Christ, which is what we would say, like that he's he's the object of our faith. Mm-hmm. And that is what the sacraments, the word of God, word and sacrament. That's why the Lutheran church and the historic church would say, right? We believe in word and sacrament is because they all deliver to us the savior, Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah. Praise be to God. And that, so if that's, if that's what they all deliver, why would we want to cut off our right hand and say, well, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't need that part. Yeah. Right. No, you get more, you get more Jesus. It's a, it's, it's more yeah. is a good thing in that. What would what would you say, Dr. Horn, to those who perhaps feel as if, you know, oh, receiving the Lord's Supper, it's boring, it's rote, maybe it's kind of even unnecessary for the local congregation. I mean, could you just talk about that? Like, how would you encourage congregants, congregational leaders, pastors to perhaps stir? And this honestly could apply to the Word of God too, right? People because I'm kind of t- get bored of the sermon or bored of doing Bible studies. What what would you do? How would you encourage them to stir up an appreciation and a valuing and a love for specifically? I'm thinking about the Lord's Supper. What What would you say? Yeah, um, th- th- this was a question that was on the list that I really had a hard time answering. You know, what would I do to do in in that situation? Um, I, I look back, and from my own experience, it is. It requires an intentional, intentional teaching mm. on the meaning of those sacraments and then bringing it down to, and in that teaching, making it intensely personal for those who are listening. Um, mm. and, and I'm speaking about what the pastor would say. I, I remember a gentleman that I know who was a part of a congregation and he said, I had been a part of that congregation for 30 years until I, in a Lutheran setting, until I actually heard a sermon or a pastor talk about really what in the world communion was all about. 
Hmm. You know, and, and, and I think it has to be set in that context of, of, of the life of the people, hmm. both as individuals and corporately, why this is important, what it means. And if you take it as just something boring, as something unnecessary, um, you are actually starving yourself, spiritually hmm. starving yourself. And that has to be communicated to people. I think that's about the only answer I could bring with that at this point. So I'm going to leave it up to you guys yeah. to develop it further. Can I speak to that a little bit? I think, you know, you, you mentioned this, uh, I don't know, a few minutes ago, you were talking about Gnosticism and just this sort of yeah. angst against uh, spiritual things or, or yeah. not tying in the physical things. You know, I agree with you totally. This starts with teaching. It's teaching. But I think we have to approach even our teaching yeah. in a far more creative way, in a far more holistic way, as yeah. we talk about this whole picture of the nature of God and how he works in our lives, mm -hmm. presenting this this uh, focus on creation. That, like yeah. Matt, you said, matter matters, you know, <laughs> that God redeems and uses creation. And then, and then hitting the incarnation so strong that this is the sacrament. And I think for people that might have a hard time understanding how God could do something physical through something spiritual— well, yeah. you got an issue with Jesus then, <laughs> right. you know, because that's literally what it is. Yeah. And and I think helping them maybe to understand this broader picture of just the way that God has always worked. Yes. And tying these promises, this spiritual, physical things. Yeah. Is helping them to understand, okay, all right, yeah, this makes more sense. And and even more so, Matt, to your point earlier of we and maybe I'll maybe I'll press you to speak on this a little bit more too, this this idea that we live in our day today so separated and so isolated from people, from physical things. We, we just love mm -hmm. online, online, online. I don't need people. I don't whatever. And that just sort of feeds this uh, lack of understanding or lack of appreciation for the community, but also then that, that physical necessity that we need within the church found in the sacraments too. And, and so I think... Um, our people need to understand why these are gifts. Why, why is this a gift for me? Why is this necessary for me? Mm -hmm. why, what happens when I remove myself from this? Yeah. Yeah. And again, we're speaking broadly, more, I think, broadly here than just the sacraments, but also maybe the nature of the church too. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, Matt, Matt, maybe as you are working with that too, how, do you, how have you presented or helped shape people's appreciation to see the value of the sacraments in their life, to do battle with their own <laughs> individualism yeah. and everything else. Yeah. I, I think two, there's a lot of ways I can answer that. I think two that come to mind right off the bat is that, that God is making himself present. And we don't fully understand this. The sacraments are a mystery, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're supernatural miracles. Like that's the other thing we have to re remember and teach. These are miracles. These are not ordinary. They're miracles that God is working in our midst. But that God is making himself present in both baptism and in the Lord's Supper in a way that he's not making himself present in other places. And I yep. think of, you know, things like the burning bush. So Moses is in the wilderness and God is in the burning bush, making himself, manifesting his presence in that place. That's not to say God isn't, you know, down the hill with the sheep that mm -hmm. Moses had, right? Right, right? Like God is down there too. God is everywhere. God is, God is, yeah. he fills all things. Yeah. But... But he chose, in the case of the burning bush, or in the, co the case of the tabernacle, or the temple, uh, or 
the incarnation to make himself present in a in a, a fuller way, a fuller manner. And that is what is happening in the Lord's Supper, that, that Christ is making himself present. And I don't fully understand that. I can't wrap my mind around mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. 100%. But I think that that is something worth really pondering and, and what I really try to in, encourage us to reflect upon and meditate yeah. upon of, of that. Like, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, the other, other thing is, is, so it's not just this recognition that God is making himself present in a particular way in the sacraments, which means kind of to you, the question that you had, this means that yes, you can go on a hike and experience God. And that's kind of people say, oh, I can just go off on a hike and be by myself and experience God in the mountains and the trees. And it's like, yeah, you can. Sure. It's a handiwork of God, but not in the same way that he has promised in the supper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's only promised that right there. So go on a hike, pray to God, experience the beauty of his handiwork. Praise be to God. But you're missing out now on what he has promised here in this place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like Mo- Moses could have said, you know what? I'm not going to go up to the burning bush. I'm going to go to the backside of the mountain because God's over there. Sure. But now you're missing out the presence of God mm-hmm. in that particular way. But the second thing being, and this ties into the life of the congregation, is it's not just you come and you receive God, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that as we break the one bread, we receive the one bread, the many are made one. Yes. And there is a, a mystical, spiritual, supernatural reality of the many being made one yes. in in the supper, in, in baptism and the supper. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, Pastor Horn, what would you say to that? Would you add on? Um, first of all, I, I think you're right in, the, in that sacramental sense of, of this something physical in this world. Um, one of the very fascinating things about one of the themes throughout Scripture is that the relationship, the, 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 the basic dynamic relationship in Scripture is not— um, twofold. It's not me and God. You know, the scripture is not just simply dealing with the relationship between me and God, that it is actually a relationship, a triangular relationship with three vertices. And that relationship is God, man, and creation. And God is concerned about all three of those relationships. And that's developed all the way through scripture. God created man, placed him in the garden, and um, they lived in harmony in that garden. And then that harmony was broken through sin, and then not only broke the relationship between man and God, but it broke the relationship between man and the world. You know, you're going to eat of this, but there's going to be weeds and thistles and all of this here. And that the... um, the, the, the atonement of Christ and his redemption on the cross is not only the redemption of the relationship of man, but is the relationship of the entire earth. And those relationships that were broken will be fulfilled within the new heavens and the new earth, which is the new, the new Garden of Eden. And what that means is the, the physical world is central to God and that he makes himself known in this physical world in a real physical way. And that's really, really essential. I think that underscores what you, I hopefully see that as underscoring that. Yeah, and I think if I could jump in there too, I think as we are working with our people in our congregations, uh, where are we pointing them to? Where are we pointing them to for assurance? Where are we pointing them to for the strengthening of their faith? We are not saying, 
go to try to find some weird esoteric experience yeah. or some spiritual experience or whatever, that's part of the beauty of the sacraments is that we we are creation. We have senses yes. and God uses the world that he has made to then ground our faith in. Yes. And so as we are partaking, our senses are being overloaded with yeah. you know hearing and experiencing and tasting and touching and all that. It's like God is then attaching those promises. And so it actually brings comfort yeah. because we can actually know where to go that are physical things to and, and receive grace. And that it's in a sense in this real world. Yes. It's not some spiritual thing yes. way off there. It's right here yes. in front of us. It's a part of this physical world yeah. where I belong. Mm-hmm. And my and, and and the reality of man is that he is both spiritual, you know, that he is a spirit and physical mm-hmm. all at the same time. Yeah. And therefore, he is he is a part of this world. So Christ will come in this world. And in yeah. fact, one man said we could not understand God unless He revealed Himself mm-hmm. in this world yeah. first through Christ, and then through the sacraments. Yeah. We couldn't understand Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a gift. And, and I think as we seek to develop our congregations and plant more churches, we really want our congregations to be so centered on word and sacrament ministry because it is through those things that we believe the Spirit of God is working to create life, to create you know mission, impulse, yeah. piety, all, all of that. It's all worked together. And when, we, and when we minimize the sacraments, we are, as you said earlier, starving ourselves. Yes. But we are literally cutting ourselves off from the very thing that we are trying to produce through other methods. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so simple. And, and it's such a gift. And th- this is a huge topic. There's a lot more that we could say about the sacraments. Uh, any final thoughts here, Matt or Dr. Horn, before we wrap up? Just simply that this is vital for the congregation because mm-hmm. because through the sacraments, we are brought together as yeah. the one body of Christ. Yes. And you can't have an understanding of the congregation as the body of Christ without an understanding, a clear understanding of the sacraments. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Matt? The sacraments, my final thought here is this, they're all, it's pure gospel. Yeah. And we've, we've, we've said that, we've said that, we've kind of been, but just to underscore and is that perhaps when, when churches or individuals say, ah, I don't, don't really want to have to do this. Like you don't have to. You get to mm. like this is a yeah, gift that really God good. is giving. You don't have to. You don't have to do it. So don't like that's that wrong perspective that that we have talked about before. It's like no, you get to do this. Like whoa, wow. Um, so to treasure it as a as a gift, as the gospel itself, that that I think will make us, as we've said, uh, gleeful uh, about receiving those gifts. So. Yeah, really good. Well, thank you, Dr. Horn, for joining us today. And we thank you for listening as well. Love to have your help. Again, if you enjoy this, subscribe to it, leave a review, uh, share with people that you think, especially on this topic, maybe, that, that would want to grow in their sacramental understanding of of what God has given us. But if you're interested in exploring church planning with the Free Lutheran Church, please contact us at aflchomemissions.org. See you next time. Bye.